This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I would invite you to go with me to the book of Acts in the New Testament and the 27th chapter. But we come uh, this evening to Acts 27, and we come to a passage that deals with a storm that the Apostle Paul encountered. The Apostle Paul was on his way to Rome. He had been arrested uh, by the Jewish officials and the Roman officials. The accusations were made against him, and Paul as he answered the Roman officials and the accusations that the Jews made against him, he appealed to Caesar. And so because of that appeal, uh, he was sent to Rome. As we come to Acts 27, we find that Paul is on board a boat, a vessel, on its way to Rome. He is accompanied by Roman soldiers and the crew of the ship and also those who were imprisoned and uh, as Paul on their way to Rome to be tried. We come to Acts chapter number 27 and verse number one, the Bible said, and when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus' band. And entering into a ship of Adramidium, we launched, meaning to sail to the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. The next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself. And when he had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when they had sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us therein. And when he had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Nidus, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete over against Salmoni. And hardly passing it, came into a place which is called the Fair Havens. Nigh whereunto was the city of Lycia. Now, when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already past, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. 
And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phoenice, and there to winter, which is in haven of Crete, and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurachlodon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up in the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps, undergirding the ship, and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strake sail, and so were driven. And we, being exceedingly tossed with the tempest the next day, they lightened the ship. The third day we cast with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there should be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am, and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that in this passage that we would draw principles from it that will help and guide us as our world is embroiled in a storm and as your church faces storms to come. I pray, God, that you would help us to glean the truths from thy word, which will help us to bear up in the storm and to trust you. And, Lord, we know that you will lead us safely through. Help us to be men of understanding who understand the times in which we live. Help us to be faithful witnesses to you. Help us to keep our eyes upon you. Help us in these dark days to be of good cheer. Help us, O oh Lord, as Paul declared so confidently, may we declare it as well, I believe God. Lord, we confess to you that we believe you. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, who has the words of eternal life. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned a moment ago, Paul and his companions were on a journey. They were heading to Rome, and along the way, they encountered 
a storm. As we read the New Testament, we read throughout the Scripture, we find that storms come to God's people. Sometimes they come as a result of disobedience in their lives. We think of, of Jonah, who turned away from uh, the direction God had sent him, and God sent a wind. He prepared a wind, and a storm came. He also prepared a fish, and when the sailors on board the vessel threw Jonah overboard, that, that whale was there to catch him and swallow him up and transport him exactly where he needed to be. And after three days in the belly of the whale, Jonah was ready to go preach the gospel message to the Ninevites. Sometimes storm comes because of our disobedience. Sometimes storms come in our obedience. The Lord Jesus told the disciples to get on board the boat and sail to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And then a storm came to them. It was not because of their disobedience, but rather it came to them in the midst of their obedience. Here we find the Apostle Paul, and he is fulfilling the mission that God has given him, and he is going to Rome. He is in complete submission to the will of God, and as he finds himself along the journey, he finds himself accompanied by those who do not know the Lord and those who do not fear the Lord. Uh, we live in a world filled with people who do not know the Lord and do not fear the Lord. And God has placed us here to go through life with them. And it is our responsibility as we live with them and among them to point them to the Lord Jesus. And we see that Paul was the faithful ambassador for Christ. Even in these storms, he pointed people to the Lord Jesus. Now, as, as a church living in modern-day America, living in this world, in these evil days, in the last days, when perilous times will come, we understand that we are encountering storms. And we find and draw principles from this passage that will help us have an understanding of what is happening and how that we can respond in the midst of these storms. By the way, we need to be alert and know that they're coming. Now, my wife reminds me much of my grandmother. I could get in trouble for that statement, but let me explain. My grandparents watched very little television. But one thing they never missed was the 11 o'clock news and the 6 o'clock news, and they normally turned it off after one certain segment. It was after the weather had come on. They wanted to know how the weather would be for the following days. They would listen to the weather forecast. Now, as a young boy growing up, and I spent a lot of time with them, I had absolutely zero interest in the weather. I wanted to see the sports. And to be honest with you, I've never grown up. I've never matured. I am where I was then. I'm so grateful that God gave me a discerning wife who wants to know what the weather's going to be. And, you know, as we live in this world, we need to be aware of the weather. We need to understand the forecast. 
as it relates to the end-time events and as it relates to our world and our lives. And so the Apostle Paul had a pretty good idea of what weather they would encounter on board the vessel. And uh, he even warned them. Notice, if you would, please, uh, in verse number 9. Now, when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed. You see, they were sailing in the fall of the year. Uh, They were sailing at a time when it would be a dangerous season weather-wise to sail. And so Paul admonished them. I think about my wife saying to my kids, it's going to be cold today. You better wear a jacket. You better wear a coat. You better get your gloves. You better get your scarf. By the way, finding our gloves and scarf, that's always an interesting proposition at our house, especially matching the gloves. I know I bought some gloves. I found one of them, but I don't know where the other is. Can any of you relate to those type of stories? You know, my mind is constantly at work. It's a dangerous thing. Let me get back to the point. Paul is saying, hey, fellas, you better get ready for the weather. Sirs, I perceive in verse 10 that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading of the ship, but also of our lives. Paul could see the storm approaching. May God help us as discerning Christians with the Bible in our hand and the Holy Spirit indwelling our heart to see the weather that is approaching. Now, there are three things we're going to note in this passage. I invite you to write them down. Number one, we see deceptive voices. Deceptive voices. Any sailor would have known that this time of the year was not the time to sail. But nevertheless, they chose to sail. Notice in verse number 11, Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. God has placed us here. He's placed his church here. The church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. It is the responsibility of the church to proclaim the message of God and God's word. We are to teach every man. We are to warn every man. Here the Apostle Paul is uh, conducting the ministry of teaching and warning. He is saying, fellas, listen to me. There's a storm approaching. This is not the time to sail. And here the church proclaims to a lost and dying world, there's a storm approaching. And you must heed the message that God has delivered. But instead of believing that message, instead of heeding that message, the centurion believed the master and owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. You see, we live in a world that turns a deaf ear oftentimes to the message that we proclaim. Verse 12, and because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part, or that means the majority of the people on board, 
advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain unto Phoenice and there to winter, which is an haven of Crete, and lieth toward the south and west and northwest. And when the south wind blew softly, the south wind, that's the warm wind, when it blew softly, supposing they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. You see, there were deceptive voices that were speaking things that were not true. And we live in a world of deceptive voices, do we not? A world of deceptive voices. And the world is listening to those deceptive voices. And we who are on the ship with them oftentimes suffer because of the deceptive voices of those who have influence and power in our nation and in our culture. Now, we note some things. First of all, they listened to the wrong counsel. They rejected the counsel of God and God's messenger, and they listened to the counsel of the shipmaster. The shipmaster had an agenda. By the way, there's an agenda in this world. Do you know who the God of this world is? His name is Satan. He is the God of this world. He is the prince of the power of the air. And uh, he is working feverishly, intensely in these closing days before the coming of the Lord. He is working more vigorously than ever before to oppose the work of Christ and the work of the church. And he is inspiring through his demonic minions and through the lies and deceit that he spins. He is in inspiring many to speak the words of foolish counsel. And there are many who are heeding their message. Not only did they listen to the wrong counsel, but they were concerned for their own comfort. If there's one thing that we like in America, it's comfort. If there's one thing that the modern American church likes, it's comfort. Just wait till the heat and air is not right, and you'll know that the church likes to be comfortable. By the way, I like to be comfortable too. We've been conditioned to be comfortable, and oftentimes we do not like to hear things that make us uncomfortable. And so they were concerned for their own comfort. We don't want to stay here, Paul. We want to move on to a nicer place and spend the winter there. A third thing we note about them is that they followed the crowd. In verse 12, because the haven was not commodious to winter in, that's their concern for comfort, the more part advised to depart thence also. Here we have the majority, the loudest voices. And what are they saying? They're saying don't listen to the, to the apostle, don't listen to the messenger of God but listen to the message of the world and we see the majority of people in our country at least it appears to us that it is the majority of people in this country who are seemingly rejecting the truths of God's word 
and are leading our nation away from that truth and down the path of destruction. And there are many who are watching it happen, but because of the fear of ridicule and scorn or perhaps loss or even persecution, they are unwilling to say anything about it. I noted that there are 12 senators who plan to oppose the results of the presidential election. I cannot tell you exactly what happened during the presidential election. I do not pretend to know. But I remember watching election results come in since I was a child. Uh, the, the, the most prominent election and the earliest that I can remember is when President Reagan was elected in 1980. The election, I think, took place in 1980. He became president in 1981. I remember some of the debate and some of the talk, even among my own family members, uh, not in my immediate home, but outside of our immediate home, concerning the, who they were voting for and who they were supporting. And, and uh, I have, since those years, uh, been observant of the election results as they came in, and never in my life have I ever seen states shut down election tabulation like what we saw in this most previous election. I've never seen that. We've never seen the things that have uh, happened in this election uh, in the history of our nation. And if you dare even bring a question, you are, you are, are, are portrayed as a threat to democracy. The mob, the majority, the powerful try to put you to silence. And discerning people can see through that. We may not know exactly what happened, and I'm not here to tell you what exactly happened. I have ideas of what I believe happened, and so do you. But to, to say that you, couldn't, you can't even question the practices of this previous election is a bully tactic for sure, is it not? They followed the crowd. By the way, that's the devil's tactic. When Nebuchadnezzar erected the image on the plains of Dura, what did he do? He brought everybody together, and he said, when you hear the music, bow down and worship the image. And there were three boys there who made a choice. We're not going to do it. It takes courage to stand, does it not? Especially when the crowd is telling you you're wrong. I've been reading a book recently. And uh, in the book, the author speaks about <clears throat> an experiment that was conducted. They would bring in a group of people and ask them a question, a, a simple question. What is the color of, and they would show an image on the screen. And they would ask, what is the color? And there were 20 people in the room, and 19 people were in on the joke. The 19 people were going to give the wrong color and by the time they got to the 20th person he's the person who was not in on it 
let's say the color was red, and they said it's blue or any color you might choose. The majority of people that were involved in that experiment went along with the crowd and against what they knew to be true. That's human nature, isn't it? That's what happens to us. We are being conditioned by this world, by the crowd. Why did they heed the deceptive voices? Because they listened to the wrong counsel, because they were concerned for their own comfort, because uh, they followed the crowd, and because they yielded to the dictates of circumstances. It looked right, and therefore, in their mind, it had to be right. By the way, Satan is a master at uh, manipulating circumstances to lead us down a path of destruction. Eve, eat the fruit. You'll be fine. God's holding out on you. Look at this fruit. Doesn't it look good? Oh, yes, it looks good. Can't you imagine it'll taste good? Yes, it'll taste good. And guess what? You'll be just like God if you do that. You won't need him to tell you what to do. You can decide for yourself what to do. By the way, that's the spirit of this age. We don't need God. We'll do what we want to do. We don't need God's definition of a family or a marriage or gender or any institution. We don't need God's morality and biblical truths. We don't need any of that. We can set the agenda for ourselves. Sounds reasonable. Why can't everybody just be what they want to be? Why can't we live and let live? Well, the problem is, is that the crowd who says that will not allow you to live and let live. They yielded to the dictates of circumstance. They listened to the deceptive voices. What did Paul say to us in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 13? But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. It won't get better. It will only get worse. Deceiving and being deceived. By the way, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We can see certain people on the television screen or in the news, and we can, we can have a, you know, a little moment of rage. We need to recognize these are people who are deceiving, yes, but they are also being deceived. They have fallen prey to the lies of Satan. It happened in the Old Testament. Hosea said in Hosea 4 and verse 1, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. Sounds like America today, right? No truth. We've rejected God's truth. We've bought into a new truth, which is a lie, a new morality. There has a moral revolution has taken place in the United States of America that rejects the old morality that America was founded upon and is establishing a new morality. And if you violate the new morality, be assured, as Hosea said, there's no mercy. The cancel culture, social media, has created an environment 
where there is no mercy. If you violate or walk contrary to the new morality, there will be no mercy for you. And there is no knowledge of God in the land. Isaiah said in Isaiah 59, judgment is turned away backward. Justice standeth afar off. We live in a civilization that is calling for the defunding of the police. Crime is at uh, exorbitant rates in the United States. Truth is falling in the street, he said, and equity cannot enter. You will never have justice in a society that rejects God and God's word. It will not ever happen. Yea, truth faileth. Deceptive voices. And then we see a second thing, and that is destructive winds. Notice, if you would, please, with me in verse number 14. But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. Here is a great storm of wind. This is not a typical storm. This is an unbelievable, off-the-charts storm. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. There was no other option. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strike sail, and so were driven, and we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest. The next day, we lightened the ship. How did they do so? They turned loose of the cargo. They unloaded the cargo of the ship. And the third day, we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appear, what does a sailor depend upon to navigate the stars? But the clouds had covered them. And they had seen the sun or the stars. They had not seen them in many days. They had no idea where they were. By the way, we live in a society that has no idea where it is today. It's on the precipice of everlasting destruction and has no idea. And all hope, he says in verse 20, that we should be saved was then taken away. We live in an age of despair, do we not? People are scared. People are lonely. People are hopeless. And they need Jesus. And the storms are blowing. The winds of opposition are blowing. Let me just list a few of them for you. The sexual revolution. That began by saying... You don't have to be married. You don't have to wait till you're married to be involved, to be engaged in a sexual relationship. No. 
You can have sex with anybody you want, anytime you want. The free love movement. That turned into the homosexual movement. And recently, the Supreme Court of the United States, a few years ago, legalized same-sex marriage in our country. We were warned by our Supreme Court that this would lead to great controversies in religious freedom. Now the transgender revolution has taken place. More than 69, and it's growing, genders have now been determined in our society. The sexual revolution is on a destructive course. The winds are blowing. Abortion seems to be the most sacred right of the progressives and the anti-God movement. Racial division and enmity Critical race theory, which teaches that America was founded by racists and America has existed all of these years to oppress people. And we certainly understand that oppression has taken place. But it was an oppressed people who came to this country and founded it. The truth of the matter is that God has made all of us, all the inhabitants of the earth, from one blood. Racism and racial division is a sin against God. It is a sign of the fallen nature of humanity. It is not particularly American. It's universal. It is, a, it is a product of the sin nature. And all people are prone to it. Division, tribalism, hatred, strife. Now we have the cancel culture. If you say something, or you post something, that runs contrary to the new morality, you can expect to be called out for it. People have lost their jobs. Young people have been removed from uh, universities and schools because of social media posts. As I said, there is no mercy. The New York Times featured recently an article about a young lady who uh, made a post in the ninth grade, and a young man held on to that post uh, for three years, actually that video for three years. And when this young lady was accepted into a college, he made that public. And the university she was accepted in rejected her because of something that she did in the ninth grade. Do you know that if a child commits a crime as a ninth grader, his record is expunged? when he becomes an adult, but not in this world, not in this realm of the cancel culture. Financial pressures are being applied. Businesses 
are applying these pressures because you have to march in lockstep now with the moral revolution. And if you don't, then we won't do business with you. Employees are being trained and taught these new cultural morals. Revisionists are rewriting the history of our nation. Science is being used to deny the message of God in God's word. Christians who believe in the creation record are being ridiculed and scorned. Some have gone so far as to say that if you're teaching your children that, your children should be removed from your home. Welcome to America. Anarchy in our streets. Violence at unprecedented levels. Rebellion against authority. Who are the driving forces behind these winds of opposition? It's the secular education movement, the university culture that denies God and his existence, that teaches socialism, that teaches that uh, Christianity is an antiquated, outdated, oppressive, patriarchal religious system created by men to put women and other racial and ethnic minorities under an oppressive regime. This is what our kids are being taught in secular public universities. Do you know who funds the secular public universities? The American taxpayer. A complicit news media who spins lies and covers up truths because they have an agenda. They are complicit. They are a part of the program. Progressives, religious liberals, big business, and entertainment. All during the pandemic, certain businesses, big businesses, have been considered essential, while other businesses, local businesses, small businesses, have been closed. Churches have been closed. In Nevada, recently, the Supreme Court heard a case concerning the shutdown of churches in Nevada. The complaint was issued because the casinos were allowed to operate while the churches in Nevada were closed. The Supreme Court unfortunately ruled that that was okay. A decision of five to four. Justice John Roberts joined the court's four liberal members to form the majority. The Calvary Chapel in Dayton Valley in Dayton, Nevada, argued that the state treated houses of worship less favorably than it did casinos, restaurants, and amusement parks. Concerning the case... Justice Neil Gorsuch wrote, The world we inhabit today with a pandemic upon us poses unusual challenges. But there is no world 
in which the Constitution permits Nevada to favor Caesar's palace over Calvary Chapel. We have time and time again seen that churches have been told they cannot meet and worship. Their numbers have been restricted, while other businesses and other organizations, including bars and nightclubs and all kinds of unmentionable things, are allowed to carry on. You see, although there is a concern for the health of the public, and we're certainly not trying to minimize that, it is evident and clear to see that abuses to this pandemic situation have occurred, and there are those who have clearly targeted the worship of God's people. Recently, Beto 